My name is Monica Gleberman, and you're listening to Silence On Set Podcast. On today's podcast, we're talking to the cast of The Night Agent, which is based on the novel by Matthew Quirk. The Night Agent is a sophisticated character-based action thriller centering on a low-level FBI agent who works in the basement of the White House. He mans a phone that never rings until the night that it does, propelling him into a fast-moving and dangerous conspiracy that ultimately leads all the way to the Oval Office. So to start us off, here's Hong Chow, who plays Diane Farr. Do you think that she makes decisions for the right reasons or does she make decisions to protect herself? The writers and Sean Ryan and I discussed this at length and we all came to the same conclusion and what we all agreed is that Diane Farr really, really believes in the president's agenda and that it can make the country better and she just finds herself in impossible situations. She's been backed up into a corner that she is doing her best to manage and to salvage. I thought it was really sad at the end of the day. And and I think it's not about checking the box of good or bad. I think all of the characters on the show are some shade of gray. Was it fun playing against Gabrielle like for Peter? Because the two of you have some scenes where it's so lovable, but then also friction as, you know, show kind of goes on. So what was that like? I asked Sean Ryan when we were first starting why he wanted to do the show and what he was trying to say, because it does veer from the book quite a bit. And the answer that he gave was really interesting to me. And it was something that I continued to think about as we were shooting the show. He said that he wanted to explore the different relationships between men and women in a professional environment, how they disagree, how they work together, how they get things done. And you see that obviously with my character, but also with the Secret Service agents and also with uh, Gabriel and uh, Luciani's characters and the hitmen and women. It's really interesting and all of us have have different ways of of how we communicate and how we go about our days and and get things done. So that's not something that I would normally think of um, when when I think political thriller. There was also this very sort of sensitive question that was running underneath everything that we were doing. So I want to ask you really quickly two fun questions. First of all, the wig. Mm -hmm. I wanted to loved it or hated it. I sent Sean Ryan, a photo of my friend. She's an author. Her name is Susan Choi. She wrote Trust Exercise and she has this beautiful silver hair and I think she's really striking and I think she's such a fox and (laughs) I sent it to Sean and I was like, I would like for Diane Farr to look like this. And I think um, that sort of caught him off guard because it is very different from how I look in real life. And thankfully we have an amazing hair department head, Caroline was very game to pull together a really beautiful piece for us. And I was very happy with it. I think since the pandemic, I've seen a lot of older women really let their natural hair color come through because we weren't going to hair salons and and getting it colored. And I think it's so beautiful. I cannot wait for my hair to go silver. So it was really fun to have that look for a while. And then what was it like (laughs) being a badass? Because it's so fun to see a woman, a strong woman, be a badass on the show. And then is there anything that you'd want to tell fans to look forward to? I think, you know, I'm always just trying to play the the character and their specific situation in life. And Diane Farr, she's the president's chief of staff. She has got to tell people what
what to do and, and get things done. So, you know, you call her a badass. I say she's just doing her job. So <laughs> her job is being a badass. And I would love for the audience to just be entertained and to keep um, being on their toes and, and guessing what's going to happen next. Up next is creator, showrunner, and executive producer, Sean Ryan. So let's talk The Night Agent. So how did yes. this come about? Because I know that there's a book and it has the same name by Matthew Quirk. And I want to right. know, how did that fall into your hands and why did you want to make it into a television show? Yeah, so I had been working on my own idea that revolved around the Secret Service. I thought about it for about a year and, and I had thought about this idea that involved these two assassins who were boyfriend and girlfriend but had this sort of screwed up personal life. But it wasn't really enough for a TV show in my mind. And right before the pandemic started, so in March of 2020, we had the very last meeting I had before everything shut down. <laughs> uh, it was a lunch meeting with uh, Jamie Vanderbilt, the writer and producer, and his team of development execs. And we were just talking about things that we might find to do together. And, and he mentioned that they had the rights to this book that they really liked called The Night Agent. And would I be interested in reading it? And I said, sure. And then pretty quickly, everything was shut down. And so I had nothing to do but time to read this book. And I read it and I instantly fell in love with the book, fell in love with Peter and Rose, the main characters. I thought there was a great, great hook in the idea of this very unimportant FBI agent who mans a phone that never rings. And then one night it rings and, and life changes. But I also thought that the book didn't have enough to like fill an entire TV season. But I thought, I wonder if there's a way to combine the idea I've been working on with this. And together, I thought there would be enough. And and I, I spent some time thinking about it, just got very excited. I was very uh, moved and motivated by the father-son story at the center of the book, the idea of a son who doesn't know whether his father was a traitor or not and is desperate to uncover the truth. It parallels to my own life, not that my father was a traitor, but my father died unexpectedly. And there were things I learned after his death that, that made me so curious to ask him, hey, what happened there? And I couldn't because he was gone. And so that really resonated uh, with me. And so I got so excited about it that I didn't really want to like wait to try to pitch it, to try to get hired to write it. I just said to Sony, the studio I work for, I just want to write this script. And then you can try to go out and sell it if you want, but this is something I have to write. And so I wrote it and we went out, tried to pitch it to a bunch of places. There were some that were interested. Netflix was interested the most and had great conversations with them about some changes that we could make to make it right for Netflix, which I did. And next thing I know, we're making the TV show. So it's been a long journey, but I've just been gung-ho to make this show from the moment I read the book. I love that because I love that it was like a cathartic thing for you and something that you're like, I have to do. And then it becomes something which is so cool. I think that's sometimes it's like that magic, that movie magic, right? Or the TV magic where it's like, you just had to get it out and then you get it out and it becomes this amazing show because it's so good. I read the book. So there's a lot of adjustments from the book. You know, there's a lot of differences in there, but the differences that you made, I think were all smart decisions to kind of further along the story, telling like a little more about Diane Farr and a little more about the, you know, Peter, like his relationship with his dad and like just a lot of the add-ons that you put in there. We had our premiere party last night and the premiere screening and Matthew Quirk, who wrote the book, was there, and I, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And he and his wife, I thought he'd only seen the pilot, but it turns out he and his wife had been able to see all 10 episodes. And I was immediately terrified because I knew a lot had changed from the book. And he was like, no, the changes were all great. We love the show so much. We're you know, so disappointed when it ended and there weren't more episodes to watch. So the fact that that we kept such core important things, especially the Peter Rose, Diane Farr, Jamie Hawkins, White House aspect to it, you know, the show wouldn't exist without his 
his book and his creations, but that he's so happy with the things that, that we changed and the things that we added was really gratifying to me. Yeah. And as a reader of the book and a watcher of all the episodes, I was very happy with a lot of the changes too. So I think you guys did such a great job. Thank In you. terms of the characters. So I talked yeah. to Hong about this and I love this. I loved her look. I loved that she had the white hair and that she's like kind of a badass. You don't really know where she falls. You know, she's a little bit of like an ambiguous character. You're not really sure. And I think a lot of these characters are relatively ambiguous as the show goes on to try to figure out who's doing what, who's bad, yeah. if you want to use that term, and who's good or who's a little less bad and who's a little more good, whatever the case is. So in terms of the look, she said that she had come to you about how she wanted her hair to look and things like that. How open were you to some of the actors coming to you about some suggestions they wanted to do and, you know, how that would help them play their characters? I tend to be very collaborative, especially early on. I think there's a point at which somebody's got to make a decision and that's usually going to fall to me. But I think higher actors, not just for their acting ability, but for their choices, for the way that they see things. So when you hire somebody as amazing as Hong is, and she has a very specific take, what her look should be, I think you pay attention to that. So I was intrigued because she rightfully said that she was kind of a little younger than the character probably would be. And so she had this idea. She sent me pictures of a friend of hers that I think works in, in government or, or something. And then also of Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so there were two photos she sent that had kind of these similar gray, silver, white, whatever color you want to call it hair that, that she felt was distinguished that she felt could define the character in this political world and that would also age her up a little bit to be a contemporary with POTUS and everything and I thought it was a really fascinating look and, and so I was like yes let's try this and went about trying out different wigs and different styles and it took a little while to get it right and, and wig really great wigs I have learned <laughs> you, you might not be surprised to know that this isn't my natural uh, expertise but they, they take a little while to make so so we started off with a temporary wig in the first couple episodes before we could get the better wig sort of delivered. And that took some VFX to make the temporary wig look better. But but I, I think it just works great. And if you see Hong across her different performances recently, whether it's The Whale or The Menu, or she did an episode of Poker Face, it's almost like a thing where she is, she's almost like the modern day Meryl Streep. Remember Meryl Streep in the 80s? It was always a different look and a different accent in every sort of movie she did. And Hong here has this, you know, she's able to not get pigeonholed into one thing because she has such range and I think the different looks help with that. And then I would say Eve Harlow, who plays Ellen, our assassin, was another one. We talked about her having constantly changing looks and her character having different wigs that she would wear in different moments. And so we spent a lot of time adjusting her look across different episodes as well, which was really fun. Yeah, her looks are the best because <laughs> they're so crazy and different and it, they were very fun. I never knew what she was going to look like. So those were like very fun to watch um how is it for you too you know obviously a lot lies on finding the correct peter and rose and making it work because they both need to be believable there needs to be some sort of chemistry there right and then there also there is a little bit where people could argue that they're both not good or bad either like they're just trying to do the best in a bad situation so how do you kind of find gabriel and lucian how do you know that they're the ones to kind of come in and do it and you know is there a specific scene in the show that you were like that's it 
it that they got it. Well, first of all, I would say that when you're casting a show, sometimes you're in this offer only situation where the actor's a big enough name that they're not going to audition and you have to, you know, try to judge from other work whether they could do this thing or not, which is always tricky because if they've done something exactly like it, then it's kind of boring that they're going to do this because it feels like they've already done it before. Both Gabriel and Luciani uh, were willing to audition for us, which was fantastic because we got this, you know, because I don't think either of them had played such a role before. And so the answer is you do an exhaustive search. You know, I personally saw probably at least 250 Peters and probably 300 Roses. Our casting people probably saw four or five times that many and they were filtering down the best choices to us. And the dirty little secret is that when you cast these people, whether it's offer only people or even if it's people who've auditioned, you don't really know if it's going to work on screen. You hope it will. The auditions have given you an indication that they do. But it wasn't until like the second call backs for each of them where we have them each on zoom acting with each other there's the scene in episode two where they're outside the window and the assassin's coming through the hotel about to get him and peter has fallen and he has this conversation with rose saying to jump and they did that audition scene together and when i saw that audition scene it was funny it was tender it was scary that was the first time i thought oh these two are going to work really really well together and i started to have a little bit more comfort and a little less anxiety and uh, they end up being great I wanted to ask you, it's kind of a two-parter, but why do you think it's so important, especially right now, to show kind of the complexities of a political show like this? Because I think some people think it's just black and white, right? And there's so many gray. So why do you think it's so important to have a political show like this on right now? And then also, what are you kind of hoping that people take away from it? I'm hoping for a season two, I'm crossing my fingers. So those are kind of like my personal things that I want to know from you because I'm just so interested in it. And it's such a good show. Thank you so much. Well, we root for a season two as well, and hopefully enough people watch that the, the, uh, we'll, we'll get one. To your first question, listen, we live in a very politically divisive time, and when you dive into a story where a lot of action takes place in the White House, there's the danger of getting sucked into today's actual politics. I think the secret for us was to kind of avoid the sort of issues, especially the hot-button issues that tend to divide people, and really focus on, well, who are the people that get into politics? politics. What are the things that drive them? You're not going to have somebody who's not ambitious come president of the United States. You're not going to have somebody that isn't ambitious and driven become chief of staff to the president of the United States. So I tend to become interested less in about let's explore today's politics that you're going to watch on CNN or Fox News than I am in to diving into who are the personalities that occupy these positions of power and how does power tend to corrupt or tend to sort of change these people during moments of, of crisis. And that's what I think is interesting to people. They, If, if they want to see political infighting going on, they can just watch the news or read the newspaper. This is supposed to be entertainment. Uh, this is supposed to be a show that's enjoyable to watch. So if you're going to go into the political space, for me, it's focusing on what makes these characters tick and what are the positives and negatives of their ambition. Those were the things I was trying to get to. What I hope fans take away from the show is that anytime we have politics as entertainment. And what I mean by that 
about is these news shows that do this stuff. These are real people we're talking about. You know, so one of the things, Peter being the subject of these conspiracy theorists who think that he had something to do with the bombing of the Metro in our pilot episode, even though we saw that, oh no, he actually helped stop the carnage from happening. I always think about these people when these conspiracy theories come up, whether, you know, it's, oh, something's happening in this pizza store, something's happening here. These are real people we're talking about, you know, look for the facts. You can enjoy this show, root for somebody like Peter and Rose. And I think in many ways, this is a classic underdog show too. The idea that the guy who has the least important job in the White House, you know, becomes the most important person in terms of saving the day over the course of these 10 episodes, I think is a, is a great aspirational story. And finally, here's Gabriel Basso, who plays Peter Sutherland, and Lucien Bouchon, who plays Rose Larkin. I want to ask both of you, this show is emotionally and physically challenging. So reading how fast-paced this is and how much you guys have to do in such a short period of time in these 10 episodes, um, was there anything that you both kind of mentally kind of went through to prep and prepare for all of the scenes and all of kind of the action, the emotional toll on your characters? Not so much. I mean, other than rehearsing, but I think if you looked at it as a six-month sprint, <laughs> you would get overwhelmed. So I right. think taking it a day at a time and just doing what was asked yeah. of you, yeah, just is all we could do. So it never felt like we had bitten off more than we could chew. And then what do you think makes, you know, instantly, I know like in the very beginning, Peter and Rose, they're like bickering a little bit. And I don't know if there's a full trust there, but the trust builds pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And because of the circumstances that they're under, I'm trying not to give anything away, <laughs> because of the circumstances that they're under. So for you guys, what was that like working to try to show the growth between... I mean, it's very different in the beginning, the relationship to towards the end, how things have changed. Yeah. I feel like that's the way it's written. Yeah, for sure. They were really patient and realistic with how our relationship developed and yeah. our dynamics sort of moved. We had moments of like banter and improv that were done sort of with one another off script. But for the most part, it was the writers and, every, and Sean that had sort of not made it feel artificial in how quickly our relationship moved forward into trust. It was so that was fun bickering though yeah that, that I, was like I, my favorite scene there was a sweet <laughs> like, spot where i missed like oh man that was fun yeah because it was just quick yeah. and it was just like so heightened but um, then everything else was just like you know we're just finding the happy medium i think we got reminded like hey guys remember, like, <laughs> you don't hate each other well i no, but i loved it because i think with peter there's so much strength and he has this background and rose is like just an everyday you know like normal person but when that bickering happened she's like calm down like I got this so like I loved all of that stuff where she was like I can handle my own too so I liked all of that stuff between you two I also want to ask you guys a couple fun questions Mm -hmm. so throughout the show you guys are traveling pretty frequently and there's bags and things like that (laughs) where are all the clothes where's all the stuff oh gosh like the backpacks what's going on I liked the backpack when I fell on the rocks because I stuffed it with like soft stuff but a laptop's meant to be in there but no we we get the clothes from I don't change that much I think I changed at my uncle's house and or the godfathers and stuff but I don't think I ever change really and we also look very like polished (laughs) like people on the run yeah my hair was like glistening and like moving we kind of compared it to what was it Dora just like yeah she had Dora the Explorer yeah it was just its own you did have a very nice shine to your hair (laughs) (laughs) I can agree with that props just kind of shot at hair yeah yeah 
first I want to know what was, you know, how much fun it was to kind of play this and have shootout scenes and chasing scenes and all of that kind of stuff. And then what you're most excited for fans to see. And I'll just squeeze in really quickly. And Gabriel, do you think Peter would answer the phone again, knowing what happened? I'll start answering that. He's okay. been moved up in the world, I think. <laughs> so he doesn't have to answer phones anymore. So hopefully he doesn't end back in that basement. Oh, that would be a nice twist. <laughs> there's a phone it comes on the plane. A little full circle. Yeah, there's a phone on the plane. That's your job. Now you're in the sky answering phones. <laughs> But I think the most fun, yeah, it was fun. I, I, I did all the fighting stunts and everything. So that was the most fun for me was just being able to practically apply skills that I have in real life with minor tweaks and stuff, obviously for choreography and camera angles and everything. But it was fun. It was just a blast doing stuff that, yeah, we'd never do in real life. Like, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually quite funny. We did scenes in the car chase in front of like LED screens. And it's so silly, but we had to... We had to do oh, yeah, all that for me because I got COVID. So we couldn't actually shoot in the car. So we, yeah. We did later though. We went back to do it later. Oh, did we? Yeah, we did. Okay, well, I thought that was it. All blurred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it did. It did. You'd be surprised. <laughs> it blurred for me. There's so much going on. The relationship. I love the relationships between you know Peter and his father, or lack thereof. Right, him not knowing what's really going on, and he wants to find out, and that kind of sparks him interest. You know, mm -hmm. being interested in kind of everything. But then his almost surrogate father, right, the one that kind of he's been away from, and that helps him and helps Rose when they're kind of in need. So how is that in terms of relationships and working through that to help Peter kind of move through all of these heightened situations he was going through and then for Rose the same thing she loses everybody that is close to her and she's like the opposite and kind of trying to learn how to deal with that whereas mm. Peter's kind of been used to dealing with that so how did that further Rose along? I mean I always try to make that my main like focus was seeking justice and then like the relationship kind of came with it because that was how she ended all of this and like I hate it in shows where like people die and they're just like oh okay next episode but also like the threat of what they her aunt and uncle were fighting for is you know happening very soon what was it seven days or something like that a week so her focus does shift in that way because she wants to finish what they started so yeah I think grief is weird it's up and down and it, it pops up and I, I hope she I don't know I don't feel like I got like closure at the end of the season and I hope maybe she finds that maybe in season two yeah I think you know the values that were instilled in him by his father were still applicable you know how he said I think there was a scene in there where he was talking about my dad always believed in due process and innocent before proven guilty so I think that regardless of the outcome and who his dad was in real life those values are still applicable so I think that's what he sort of resents about the whole thing is that the people that you know should believe in their own institutionary process don't apply it to one of their own and so his approach to people I think is sort of utilitarian where he uses them and stay everything stays very surface level and he's never really invested in out of a defense mechanism but with Rose even in the beginning he doesn't really even like her he's sort of indifferent he's just I'm keeping you alive and I don't know I think he realizes throughout the course of the show that it's deeper and the surface level can only take you so far in life. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the cast of The Night Agent talk about their tumultuous, crazy, action-filled show. The show launches on Netflix globally March 23rd, so make sure you go and check it out. It's 10 episodes, and trust me, it's worth the watch. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're updated on all of our latest podcasts, and head over to our YouTube channel. Hit subscribe so you're updated on all of our video content. Oh.